0: and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the Horror Hell. If it's the darkness you seek, You won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill. And it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun. And nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air is colder prepare yourself if you dare come inch a closer if darkness is what you're after seek no more your searches through you haven't found the darkness traveler the darkness has found you School can be as terrifying an experience as any found in the dark corners of the unsavory sanctum that is the Horror Hill. Our first story this evening, a harrowing tale of haunted hazing and a rite of passage gone horribly wrong. From author Doug Handkey. I give you... The Initiation of Ryan Cadle. I never believed in the supernatural. Joey Baloney Baldwin, yes, they called him Baloney, was the captain of the football team in my new school, High. He was also in charge of harassing the new students upon arrival as well. He stood tall and slim, with the redneck equivalent of the California surfer look. His wife-beater lay tucked under his favorite camo jacket, and his tight blue jeans completed the package. I hated him before we ever spoke. Hey, new kid. I kept my face down and my books clutched in my chest. There was nothing I wanted less than a conversation with that meathead. You deaf kid. He reached out and grabbed my shoulder. What's your name? Ryan, I mumbled, looking at him. No, leave me alone. Hey, I'm just trying to invite you to a little get-together at my place this weekend. I stared at him and his group of hype men and wondered what kind of joke they were trying to play on me. You... What? I asked. It's... (laughs) An initiation type thing, you know? Joey smiled. After that, we'll leave you alone. I had no desire to be initiated, but I also had no desire to be harassed every day for the remainder of my stay at that godforsaken school. I considered my options and, with a defeated sigh, I replied, What what time? His friends erupted in barbaric cheers, fist-bumping and high-fiving each other. I felt like I was a cast member on some shitty MTV reality show. (laughs) Oh, Friday night, my place. My parents are out of town this weekend, he grinned. What is this, um, initiation? Uh, You'll see. He looked over his shoulder to his friends who were all laughing. Hope you don't scare easy. I don't scare easy. But the way he and his friends were acting made me doubt my own fear tolerance. Over the next few days, I asked a few kids if they knew what the initiation was all about, but no one would say a word. It was apparently something that everyone knew about, though, because on Friday, people started wishing me luck. My mind started telling me this was a bad idea, and my heart was trying to leave my chest and flee the scene. I sat on the school bus on my way home, thinking of all the things it could possibly be. Nothing had prepared me for that night. Nothing could have. I arrived at Joey's house around 9 p.m. and knocked on the door. His home was tucked away in a wooded area, much like every other house in town, beneath a canopy of hanging trees. I must admit, it was a nice house. The door opened and there stood Mr. Baloney, wearing his school-issued polka, quote, dot, end quote, sweatpants. Yeah, The high school mascot is The Dots. How stupid. And a plain white t-shirt. He placed his right hand on my shoulder and gripped it tight. I didn't think you'd show. Well, I did. Hey, this new kid showed up, he screamed into the house. I heard a few hoots and hollers over the country music that was blaring from the kitchen. I felt like I was in a B-rate horror movie mashup, like Deliverance meets Scream or something. Want a beer? Joey asked me. Sure, I said. I figured I might as well get drunk if I was going to have to deal with these assholes for the night. Hey, Danny, throw me a natty, bro. Danny was one of the offensive linemen on the football team. He weighed about 340 pounds and was wearing his football jersey with the same polka dot sweatpants. Joey caught the beer and tossed it to me. I pulled the tab and had to immediately drink the beer that started spewing from the top. "'Chug! Chug! Chug!' the mob chanted. An hour passed and I felt the mood shifting. Everyone started whispering to themselves and looking at me, which made me a bit uncomfortable. I was starting to become intoxicated. Why was everyone staring at me? "'It's time for initiation, people!' Joey entered the room with an empty black sack. My heart started pounding against my chest, and I felt my forehead getting moist. I wiped my hands on my jeans and tried to calm myself. You, uh ready? Joey looked at me. Um y- yeah. Come with me. The party went into a riot as they chanted, Go, 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 go. It wasn't nearly as inviting as the choke chant from earlier. I <clears throat> I um I need to go to the bathroom. I said before we reached the back door, number one or number two? (laughs) Joey asked. Not the question I had expected, but I didn't hesitate. I, I think I'm gonna throw up. (laughs) All right, initiation will have to wait, I suppose. Joey said. The mob booed and started chanting, "Pussy, pussy, pussy." Once again, I. I liked the chug chant better. Don't do that shit down here, bro. Bathroom's upstairs on the right. I worked my way through the angry mob and jogged up the stairs in search of the bathroom. After a few seconds, I located the door and made my way across the hall. I stopped at the entrance and listened for a moment. I stood completely still, could hear the sound of crying coming from the room next to me. Noticing the door was half open, I glanced into the room. On the bed, crying, sat a beautiful girl wearing a blue nightgown with white lacing. Her curly brown hair fell to her shoulders. I could see her tears from the hallway. She looked up at me. Who are you? Just go away. So, so sorry, I stammered and turned to the bathroom. No, no, wait, don't go, she said, sniffling. I'm sorry. It's been a shitty night. I saw a picture hanging on the wall next to me. The picture was of Joey, his parents, his older brother, and his sister, whom I now realized was seated before me. Come in, she said, beckoning me. (laughs) I'm Vanessa. I am... I can't... I said, trying to get the words out of my mouth. I've never been good at talking to girls... Especially pretty ones. They're they're waiting. She laughed. Are you being <laughs> initiated? She created quotation marks in the air with her fingers. I stepped into her room. <laughs> yeah. What's funny? She motioned to the edge of her bed. Sit down. I wet my palms on my jeans and inched closer to her bed. I sat down taking up the least amount of space as physically possible. A cool, coconut-scented breeze swept through the room, causing the hair on my arms to stand up like soldiers in formation. Don't be nervous, she laughed. It is cute, though. I like it. Her olive skin was blemish-free. Her stare was... inviting. Those words were all my heart needed to explode in my chest blood rushed to my groin as i struggled to speak what's initiation oh some stupid thing joey and his idiot friends do to the new kids they take you to the creek out back and make you sit under the stone bridge with a stupid black sack on your head then they tell you a dumb story about a girl that drowned behind her house they leave you there for 30 minutes while they try to scare you by making noises she rolled her eyes They are so fucking stupid. I laughed. That's initiation? Yep, that's it, she smiled. Her teeth were that of a Colgate model. What had I been so afraid of, anyway? I don't even believe in ghosts. I was more afraid of them just kicking my ass. That was much scarier than sitting under a stone bridge. Vanessa scooted toward me until our arms were touching. Goosebumps appeared in my arms like bubbles of boiling water. ''What's your name?'' she asked. ''Um, (laughs) Ryan,'' I replied. ''Nice to meet you,'' she said with a smile. ''If you don't mind me asking, why were you crying?'' She took a deep breath and wiped the last of her tears from her drying eyes. My boyfriend broke up with me tonight. Oh. I'm oh, sorry. Eh. Fuck him, right? <laughs> Pretty much. You have a girlfriend, Ryan? She placed her hand on my thigh and I nearly melted. Her emerald eyes burned a hole into my soul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I said. Never have. Never? She bounced on the bed and grabbed my shoulder, pushing me in a playful manner. Lies. No, no, really, I have never had a girlfriend. I could feel the heat in my cheeks. Why was I telling her that? I should have just lied. You're adorable, she said. She leaned over, putting her face in front of mine, her eyes radiating pure happiness, and kissed me. She kissed me it was my first kiss but oh my god it was worth the wait my body tingled and my heart struggled to decide on a rhythm I placed my hand behind her head like they do in the movies and she slipped her tongue into my mouth and then it was over she pulled away and smiled better get going before they see you up here I nodded and stood up I turned from the door and waved goodbye she smiled and blew me a kiss as my insides tumbled around like gymnasts when I made it back downstairs everyone cheered about time bro Joey said we were starting to think you died up there I laughed (laughs) oh I'm okay let's go The mob escorted me outside, and just like Vanessa had told me, I was instructed to sit under the stone bridge. Joey placed the sack over my head, and the sound of the creek filled my ears. They are going to try to scare you. So, a girl died in this creek twenty years ago, Joey said in his best scary voice. Her father was an alcoholic. He used to use this bridge for punishment. He would put a sack over her head, like the one you're wearing now, and tie her to the metal latch at your feet. I moved my feet out of curiosity, felt a hard object. I bent over and grabbed the object with my hands. It was sturdy and had an opening large enough for a rope. Well, at least they weren't tying me. One night, as she sat tied up and hooded, it began to rain. "'Rained really hard, bro. Her drunk-ass father passed out in the house and left her there. "'The rain that night was record-breaking. The creek rose and flooded into the yard. "'The water wasn't even at my feet at the moment. I had to move down to the water on purpose to get wet, "'but I couldn't imagine how easily it would flood. If I were tied to the latch, my head would be below ground level.' oh the girl fought with the creek struggling to keep her head above water she failed her father found her dead the next morning and then hung himself by the tree to your right i could feel a cold breeze blowing over my neck as i sat in the darkness a tingling sensation crept down my arm with the sack over my head my imagination ran wild they say sensory deprivation can cause hallucinations, and I believe them. I heard laughter that didn't sound human. The voices reverberated, making my place under the bridge sound like an empty cathedral hall. Two images appeared in the darkness in front of me. They glided closer and closer until they were identifiable. One of the figures was that of a young girl. Her hair was long and blonde and clothing ragged and torn the other was of a man his face was unkempt his hair long and greasy his clothes dirty he pulled the sack down over her head as she cried hysterically struggling to get free the man tossed an empty bottle of Jack Daniels to the ground and spit into the water I could smell the alcohol on his breath when he spoke to her Vanessa's warnings weren't enough to stop the fear from entering my mind. The images faded. I could hear the mob whispering, but their voices seemed distant. The sounds of thunder crashed around me like an angry orchestra. I felt drops of water splash against my skin, sending chills down my spine. The sound of rain pounded off the stone bridge above as I felt the water rising. Very scared, I tried to stand only to realize there was now rope binding my wrists. I jerked with all my strength, but to no avail. I followed the rope to the creek floor and grabbed the latch. I thrashed in the water, trying to free myself from its clutches as the water rose to waist level. Faster and faster the water rose. The whispers from the mob faded, and I could tell I was all alone. I was left to die in the creek just like the girl from the story. As the water rose past my neck, I did my best to angle my head toward the bridge. If I was lucky, it would stop rising just short of my nose. I strained with every ounce of strength I could muster as the water rose over my mouth, sloshing back and forth near the bottom of my nostrils. I tried everything to stay calm and took one last breath before the water rushed over my nose. I could see the image of the girl struggling once more and for a moment I felt like we were the same person I could feel my lungs giving up as they burned inside my chest I accepted defeat and cursed Joey and his friends for leaving me outside to die I closed my eyes and gasped for air I heard the sounds of the mob approaching again Their voices became clearer as I struggled to open my eyes. ''Oh, oh, you all right, bro?'' A voice I recognized as Joey said. ''You were screaming?'' ''Oh shit, man, it was fucking hilarious!'' ''Yeah, (sighs) yeah, riot,'' I said as he removed the sack from my head. I trembled as I tried to regain my sanity. Joey gripped my shoulders with a fatherly squeeze. "'Oh, dude, it's over, man. Welcome to Polka. I walked upstairs to the bathroom and saw that Vanessa's light was still on. I decided to pop in and let her know how wrong she had been about the initiation. But when I pushed the door open, she wasn't there. I heard the fan in the bathroom running and decided to wait for her to get out. The sound of footsteps came stomping up the stairs.' Danny appeared soon after, doubled over, attempting to catch his breath. Don't run much, I take it, I said. Oh, funny, he said. What are you doing in there? Joey will kill you for going in that room. I laughed. Oh, I'm sure he would. My memory of the kiss rushed back to me. Oh... Oh, no, really, man. His tone seemed serious. Okay, okay, I'll leave his sister alone. I turned back to her room and noticed the lights were off. The room was lit only by the moonlight, which left a dark blue tint on everything. Oh, oh, it's not funny, dude. I looked with wide eyes to the window, hanging from the ceiling, garbed, in a blue nightgown with white lace trim was Vanessa her wiry hair fell over her face her skin decomposed and pale she hung from a rope and I could see the bruises on her neck from the break her left hand gripped a piece of paper I turned to Danny my heart pounding in my chest I must still be under the bridge. I must still be under the bridge. I must still be under the bridge. Vanessa died five years ago, man, Danny said with a whisper. Her boyfriend broke up with her. She ran to her room and hung herself. Joey found her the next morning with a suicide note in her hand. I stared at him. My knees trembled from the fear of not knowing whether or not I was still under the sack. What... what did the note say? Danny looked at me, lowered his gaze to the ground. Um, it said... All I ever wanted was to be kissed... Our second story tonight, a master's class in paleontology and bones buried in the Jurassic dark, best left unfound. From author Darren Todd, I give you Bones of Contention. The bones arrived on a Friday in a pine crate the size of a steamer trunk. Is that it, Mr. Evans? Elliot asked, his tone lacking in awe. The rest of the Earth science class conversed in whispers or stared out the row of bay windows overlooking the high school parking lot. Mr. Evans seemed puzzled at the size as well, his brow wrinkling. He checked the manifest from the State Museum. Well... he said... Extending the words, he studied the plastic-encased paper slip. Pachycephalosaurus. Yep, that's the right one. It's heavy enough, that's for sure. I'll grant you the box doesn't exactly impress. Still, count us lucky. We'll only be the third high school to earn a genuine fossil display. How big will it be? Elliot asked, his voice warming. Oh, it'll fill the plinth nicely. Bigger than a velociraptor. Ought to turn a few freshman heads. Hmm. I I can't wait to see her. Elliot said, rubbing the crate's unfinished wood. Looks like Ellie found a prom date, came a voice from behind him. He turned to see Brian Pagan smirking down at his phone, his two toadies cackling at the joke. It's Elliot, Mr. Pagan, and do put that phone away, the teacher said. You know the rules. Brian's smirk widened. He kept his eyes on the screen in his hands. Sorry, teach. Just got to put Ellie's loving caress on Instagram real quick. He looked up. Those rare moments of true love. Oh, such a gift. At this, his cronies laughed harder, and half the class joined in. That is not my name, Elliot mumbled. He had bristled at Brian's belittling nickname since the bully came up with it freshman year. The bell rang, ending class. The students filed out, none so much as glancing at the box of bones. Only Elliot remained. He waited several seconds for Mr. Evans to finish rooting around the storage locker. Now, where is that damned hammer? The barrier between student and teacher lowered with the others gone. That Mr. Evans could speak frankly around Elliot made the senior smile, despite the lingering angst Brian had left. It's in the chest with the rock samples, Elliot said. Mr. Evans looked up, incredulous. You uh, used it to open a geode a couple of weeks ago? Remember? The teacher shook his head, laughing. Oh, oh, if half the class paid that much attention, my job would be several orders of magnitude easier. Elliot huffed. If Brian Pagan vanished off the face of the earth, that might just happen. The teacher looked around the empty classroom. The new STEM wing of the high school had opened only a month before. Every noise echoed in the space. He stepped closer to Elliot and spoke in a low voice. Off the record, I'd feel no remorse if Mr. Pagan found another class. Not vanished off the face of the earth, but rather discovered a venue that appreciated his... (laughs) ...unique skill set. Heckling every person outside his clique, you mean? Mr. Evans smiled. Perhaps. But if he laughed, someone else would take his place... Besides, I lose far more kids to social media than I do Brian's sedition. He placed a hand on Elliot's shoulder. You can't let him get to you, Elliot. It only feeds the fire. You're a senior now. You've got, what, 150 days of high school left? Then you'll leave it behind forever. I'm not suggesting you'll miss it. I don't. ''It's just that by the time you find your feet at State, Mr. Pagan will be a distant memory, as unimportant as what you're having for lunch.'' Elliot nodded, but felt no better. Brian Pagan was a thug, and ignoring him only reaffirmed that. Elliot turned to leave, but whipped back around. ''Speaking of lunch, you care if I swing back by and help put her together?'' Mr. Evans crossed his arms. What makes you think I'm willing to skip eating to assemble a 60-million-year-old fossil? Elliot smiled and shrugged. All right, you got me. Sure. Come by and we'll see how much we can get done. I'll have it laid out by then, at least. I'll get my bio class to unpack it for me. Elliot's smile faded as he turned for the door. The idea of other students handling the bones soured his stomach he knew the thought was silly bones that survived 60 million years could endure teenagers laying them out for assembly still his peers flippant attitudes concerned him at least once a day a student dropped a $500 phone under the school's concrete floor only to pick it up and discover that the screen now resembled a spider web they protested of course but never blamed themselves always the stupid phone the stupid case the stupid parents that didn't buy them the stupid one that they wanted any of them could as easily drop a bone and break off a vital piece an evolutionary marvel encapsulated for ages and show no more regard the idea stole Elliot's awareness and he walked far beyond his next class the late bell returned him to the moment and he bolted back the way he'd come Elliot ate most of his lunch a small sandwich and chips he packed himself while walking to the STEM wing he moved between the other students most of them eager to reach the cafeteria voices already reaching a crescendo he passed the statue of Nikola Tesla that divided the science lab from the tech center and engineering department surprised to find no one around he entered Mr. Evans' classroom and found it empty the lights turned off The bones lay across several desks, pushed together. There were so many that Elliot wondered how they all fit in the single case. He ran his fingers over the brown, smooth surface of what must have been a leg bone, much like a human femur. When he did so, something happened. For an instant, he knew the life this creature led, eons ago. Nothing as concrete as images, but flickers of emotion. The adrenaline-fueled thrill of a hunt, the sound of a million insects buzzing like power lines. Even the smells. An earthy aroma that lingered in his nostrils despite the pervading odor of paint and floor varnish in the lab. His heart sped as if waking from a falling dream, and he struggled to find enough oxygen. Despite the near panic, he gripped the bone like a club Eager for the flash of that other world to return He jumped when someone pushed open the door Mr. Evans Hey, Elliot I guess you beat me here I was just... He stopped and walked closer Jeez, bud You look a little off You alright? You need me to call the nurse? Elliot stood in place for several seconds, then returned the bone to the desktop. Heat swallowed along his back like he'd just run a mile. No? No, Mr. Evans, I'm fine. It's just, um... He gestured in front of him. We've got our work cut out for us. He attempted a laugh, but it came out as a gasp. Mr. Evans' frown remained. You know, you don't have to help, Elliot... The administration only wants it up before the wing kickoff in two weeks, and a colleague who staged skeletons up at state is coming next week. Elliot shook his head. "I, I, I don't, I mean, I do want to be here, Mr. Evans. I want to help, he gestured to the crane. The teacher shrugged. Okay, let's get to it. For the next half hour, they sorted the bones into groups according to a set of arcane instructions that had Mr. Evans spewing PG curses which echoed off the high, empty walls. I'm going to find out who wrote these and send them a thank-you letter in Gaelic, he said. He shook the folded papers as if to force them to make sense. It's okay, Mr. Evans, Elliot said, taking a small bone and holding it up to the light. I... I think I get it. It all sort of makes sense to me. Mr. Evans smiled. That's enough for now, Elliot. Why don't you get to class? For the rest of the day, Elliot thought only of the bones. He'd handled them all throughout lunch and with no further flashes, but surely he hadn't imagined it. The sensations lingered in his mind. What if that other place were here so long ago? This very spot, millions of years before man built upon it. It had been wild and unfettered then. Now humankind attained it so completely that strangers could send their children to learn together without worry. Brutes like Brian Pagan could spend hours tormenting weaker people with no fear of reprisal. In that land, in that time, Brian's bullying would meet with quick and absolute justice. The nagging feeling made Elliot circle back toward the stem wing after the final bell rang. If he saw Mr. Evans, he would make up something about forgetting his notebook. He hoped to find the lab empty. The halls dwindled of students and teachers alike, all eager to start the weekend. The flash had come before Mr. Evans met him during lunch, so... Maybe, if he could touch the bones again, with no one else around. Elliot knew the lab might be locked. The fossils were worth a fortune. But when he twisted the stainless steel knob, the door opened. He entered and called out for the teacher, but received no response. The light from the eastern-facing bank of windows had paled, leaving the lab dim and lifeless. He eased over to the desks, still rife with bones both big and small. Elliot swore he could taste them in the air, as if the fossils had taken over the artificial miasma of the new building. He reached towards what looked like a foot bone, gnarled and knuckled. He held his breath, closed his eyes, and invited another episode. (laughs) Back to grope your girlfriend, Ellie. The voice was unmistakable, as was the chuckle of Brian's friends. Elliot's blood chill, his legs felt instantly flimsy. His mouth dried and he licked his lips. But as he stared down at the bones, bravery bolstered him, as if the ancient relic had infused him with power. His lips curled back. He balled his fists. He imagined the crunch of Brian's nose cartilage giving under his knuckles. Finally, he felt ready to face them. He turned. The hit to his stomach came right away. It stole his breath, and the panic of suffocating overrode all else. He fought the urge to puke, riding the pain out. I got in-school suspension for having my phone out, you little prick. Brian said Before Elliot could even raise his head Brian sent a boot to his stomach Forcing out what little air Elliot had sucked in The pain Coursed through him As if the bully had stomped him all over You should think about Staying home Brian said One of his toadies cackled like his leader Had delivered the final punchline Of a stand-up routine Brian squatted and leaned down To Elliot's level "'Oh, I'm serious, Ellie. I don't want to see your face again. It makes me sick. "'So, you do whatever it is you have to do.' He grabbed Elliot's face and dug an angry thumb just under his eye socket, sending fresh waves of pain through him. "'Say you're sick. Tell Mommy you'd rather kill yourself than come back here. "'Hell,' he dug his thumb deeper still, elliot wailed in agony just go ahead and kill yourself i think that's probably best it'd be easier brian released him and the pain tapered tears rolled down elliot's face oh it's okay ellie brian said you still got your bone then he kicked him impossibly hard in the groin the pain shot up from beneath and seized elliot's stomach he wretched. Nothing came up. The dry heave seemed to last forever. The strain blurred his vision. And he teetered on passing out. When he regained control, Brian and his buddies were gone. Elliot lay on the cool floor and cried for what felt like an hour. When he finally stood, the light had faded further. He wiped his face on his sleeve and looked into the parking lot. He spotted his car a beat-up Ford Escort he'd saved for during the better part of the year, and two others. When his breathing slowed, an eerie quiet crept in. He walked to the lab entrance and peeked out into the empty hallway. The only lights remaining came from the emergency boxes set at intervals just beneath the drop ceiling. He walked back to the line of desks and the bones, but the power they'd given him vanished replaced with an overwhelming despair that sapped his will even to touch them. Elliot picked up his pack and headed for the door. Once in the hallway, he spotted movement farther down. A beam of light danced back and forth, landing and resting on each door. The sound of the knob shaking preceded the silhouette of the security guard making his rounds. Elliot swore to himself and ducked back into the lab. He'd done nothing wrong, but the thought of facing the guard and explaining himself only served to heighten his anxiety. Elliot had never encountered the guard personally, but stories preceded the mid-thirties officer. Tales of unreported abuse, pepper spray malfunctions. No complaints didn't mean no injustice. Elliot knew that better than most. After all, Brian's suspension was the first sign of his tyranny receiving any adult attention. He ducked out of sight, crawling beneath a wraparound desk topped with a plastic model of the cat-sized Comps of Nathus dinosaur. So close to the floor, the myriad industrial smells seeped up, potent as perfume. At least he wouldn't dirty his pants. Most floors in the school resembled a coffee-stained tabletop by now. Elliot knew this, since he kept his head down as a rule. From his position, he could just make out the flashlight beam when the guard shined it in on the classroom. The light peeked in through the narrow window. Nothing to see here, Elliot whispered. Go away. His heart jumped when the officer turned the knob and opened the door. It stopped halfway open. What the hell? The guard said. Idiots, he mumbled and yanked the door closed. The following sound could only be the deadbolt sliding home. The knob shook along with the door, but neither budged, and the light moved on. Elliot waited several minutes before slinking out from beneath the desk. He listened for footsteps in the hall, but heard nothing. He tried the doorknob. It gave only millimeters in each direction. Locked. In what remained of the light, Elliot examined the lock plate. On his side... A keyhole stared back at him. No latch. Only the port for a key he didn't have. His breathing became shallow, and the air thickened with the stench of the new room. Elliot fiddled with a window, finally freeing all three latches. When he tugged to the pane, it created only a four-inch gap to the outside. He examined the fulcrum, and sure enough, it moved no further. At least the mild breeze coming in cleared the stuffy air. Elia tried the door again. He began knocking on it, then banging, and then yelling and banging. Sure, alerting the school officer required explaining himself, maybe even getting in trouble, but that beat the panic rising inside him at the thought of being trapped there. He called out for several minutes, breaking to listen, ear to door. Each time, his lungs threatened to give out or his throat burned too fiercely to continue. Nothing. Not even footsteps. My phone, he said. Hope rushed through him like ice water on a hot day. He fumbled in the dim light, rifling through his bag, then shook his head. Well, I I guess I can turn on every light in the place now, he said. He flipped the series of switches... The fluorescent bulbs tinkled, then bloomed with light. In his bag sat the phone he'd bought last Black Friday, tiptoeing out of his tiny house long before the sun came up, waiting in line for hours, all to have a half-decent phone with what little money he'd saved. Still, when he found it and pressed the wake button, the screen remained a mirrored black, revealing nothing more than his own worried face. ''Come on,'' he said, his voice breaking. ''I charged you last night for crying out loud.'' At least he thought he'd tethered it to the white charging cable dangling from the bathroom socket. He shared the bathroom with his mom. Only one of the two sockets worked. They remained at a constant battle between his charging phone and her hairdryer. ''Had she showered last night? Or this morning?'' ''Oh, it doesn't matter, you idiot.'' he said through clenched teeth. The phone was dead. Who would he call, anyway? His mom spent every other weekend taking care of Elliot's ailing grandmother, and this was one such weekend. She always called each night to check on him, but thought nothing of just leaving a voicemail. As the remnants of light bid farewell outside, leaving the bay windows reflecting the classroom, Elliot searched Mr. Evans' desk for the key... The teacher had apparently used the transition between classrooms to pare down his piles and supplies. Each drawer contained only a spartan collection of things dropped in with little thought. The folders lay piled vertically, not yet sorted into their hanger files. The center drawer held only a few pencils, some loose change, and a ruler. Elliot went to the window, cupped his hands around his eyes, and stared into the parking lot... His car sat alone, save for a single other vehicle. It was parked near enough to the track that it might belong to a runner. It could be abandoned for all I know, he grumbled. Still, he stood by the plate of four light switches and turned them on and off several times in succession, checking the parking lot at interval. Still nothing. In the reflection, he spotted a shape that made him jump. He whipped around, sucking in a breath. The dinosaur's skull stared from atop a desk. Had it been there before? Surely he would have noticed it, but... Then again, he'd only looked at the bones from the other side of the room before Brian and his goons attacked him. It was really only the top half, looking to Elliot as if the creature were somehow swimming in the desks only breaching the surface like a crocodile sliding up to oblivious prey on the shore. The bottom half lay a yard away. The teeth between them laid out at odd angles. Even so, their purpose shone clear. Those teeth had torn through flesh and bone probably hundreds of times, felling creatures several times the beast's size without ego or judgment. Elliot looked around scouting the parking lot once more to ensure he was indeed alone. The school lay nestled in a broad forest, trees sequestering it from all else, a single access road leading in. He could well be the only person for miles around. Elliot strode to the desks, holding out both hands like a surgeon after scrubbing up. He stood over the top half of the skull, peering down into the vacuous eyes, dark, despite the shining tan surface of the desktop. Elliot brought his hands down onto the skull, holding his breath as if about to latch on to an electric fence, bracing for pain. The moment his flesh curved around the ancient bones, the earlier sensation returned. All day he'd convinced himself of its power, but he'd forgotten its subtlety. He still stood in the modern-day classroom, but part of him of his senses slipped back millions of years into the soul of a mighty hunter, small but ferocious. Only this time the hunter felt him as well. It linked to the present, pulled from a world billions of days before mankind. The soul of the hunter communicated without words, only sensations, and yet they swirled and collected into a single, harmonizing intention. The hunter avoided lairs of benign courtesy and respect. Just as a shark, unchanged through the ages, no sooner contemplated human flesh than it did the countless other species it tasted. The hunter's will solidified and spiked into Elliot's mind as neatly as an axe's wedge cleaves wood. He fell back, hands leaving the skull and moving behind him just in time to break his fall. He sucked in breath as if he'd been submerged in water for a full minute. He surfaced a new creature, born of a bond between he and the hunter. The invisible thread connecting them traversed years as effortlessly as it did species. The hunter's bargain sent the corners of Elliot's lips curving into a smile. His end lay clearly before him, in the bone puzzle waiting to be solved." Elliot experienced no more flashes, despite touching the bones over and over. None were necessary. He had received the message and needed only to act on his end of the deal. He had built his share of models over the years. One of the few things he ever received from his father was a collection of unopened model cars and planes. He had left them, along with everything else, when Elliot was three. For years, Elliot worked on the models, at first with shy, inexperienced hands, and later with delicate skill. In the beginning, he did so believing that his father might return, that the models constructed with such care would entice him to stay. By puberty, Elliot knew his dad would never return, but he built the models anyway. By that time, and in the years after, doing so no longer provided him with hope or connected him with his estranged father... Instead, it gave him a way to make himself better than the man who abandoned his own wife and son. The boy finished, even perfected, what his father had failed to do. Constructing the model of an ancient predator would surely prove no more difficult. Alas, despite the detailed instructions and ample tools, the execution challenged Elliot's patience like nothing he'd ever worked on. With models, the size acted as both advantage and drawback. Sure, you had to spend hours in painstaking detail, but the size hid the process itself. Which parts were once separate and which already conjoined? Where did the epoxy end and the snaps begin? A good craftsman, and Elliot indeed qualified, used the small size to cloak his work. With the bones, however, the opposite held true. Elliot had all the room he could ask for when binding the pieces with the thin copper wire and the special adhesive. But the construct betrayed him over and over. The tools of the hunter's rebirth shone amid the bones, begging onlookers to scoff at it, to maintain their disbelief that this was ever a creature worthy of respect and fear. No, the binds had to disappear. The illusion remained vital to the bargain." He worked long into the night, taking periodic breaks to stare out at his car. His vision blurred, and his aching fingers stumbled, but he had only completed a single foot. Exhausted, he collected the dust covers from the dozen microscopes and lined the hard floor with them. He used his backpack as a pillow, laid down, and fell instantly to sleep. In a dream, he crossed an open field with high grass wet from dew. His feet were bare, and as he walked, he grew colder and his clothes soaked through. A snarl interrupted the quiet, and he turned to see the bones pursuing him. Not the dinosaur itself, but the animated fossils sprinted across the field. He turned to flee, but made it only feet before the hunter fell upon him. Claws tore at his back, holding him in place. The skull the size of a cow's leaned closer. Through the fog of pain, he could still smell the beast's breath. It reeked of decay and dust. It hovered over him, inches from his face, teeth brushing and catching on his skin lightly enough to leave the paper-thin flesh intact. "'What do you want from me?' Elliot cried. The grass had left him wet, and yet tears moistened his face anew. "'I'm doing what you wanted. I'm doing the best I can.' The hunter leaned into him, the pressure on his face remnant of Brian's biting thumb the day before, only infinitely more serious. ''I'll do it,'' Elliot moaned. ''I swear, I'll do it. I just need time, please.'' The hunter pulled back. Elliot turned to face it in full. The tableau echoed the skeletal dioramas of the exhibits he'd seen before. But where those remained as lifeless as the beasts to which they paid tribute, the hunter hovering over him radiated an unmistakable vitality. Though it seemed impossible, the hunter arched its deadly teeth in an awful smile. Elliot woke sore and disoriented. Early sunlight seeped from the bay windows, illuminating his meager progress. A single foot that, in the light of day, lacked the exactitude he thought he'd reached the night before. He recalled with clarity the beast standing over him. The tacit threat implied in that toothy grin. He hurled the foot across the room and into the stone wall, where it flew to pieces that chittered on the floor. "'I can do better,' he said." and set his jaw thankfully the lab held several taps that poured into deep basins so water presented no issue even after sating his thirst hunger nibbled at Elliot's stomach he ignored it even slapping his gut when the gurgles sounded as if training a dog not to beg he again rummaged through Mr. Evans' desk more closely this time finding two granola bars stuffed between the folders In his pack, he discovered gum and an energy drink. He imagined the hunter's life, where every calorie fought till its dying breath to keep from entering its bowels. This bolstered Elliot's resolve, despite the prospect of an entire weekend with no more calories than those contained in a single meal. Finish early, he said aloud, as if making a pact with himself, and I'll break a window to get home erecting the bone display would surely outweigh the trouble breaking a window might put him in the day stretched out as if larded with hours that never existed before elliot tried to pull his eyes away from the large clock hanging on the wall this day will never end he said his self-pity swelled for the dozenth time but he choked it back he pulled the clock from the wall and returned to work The construction grew easier by fractions. He consulted the instructions less. He decreased his reliance on the adhesive and exposed the copper bindings fewer times with each bone knitted. When he lay down to sleep that night, his fingers shone pink and raw, his vision blurry and his head pounding from the intense focus the work required. Despite the hunter's image that flashed across his mind's eye when he killed the lights, he fell asleep in seconds. He returned to the field of high grass, the wet blades swaying in the wind, licking his clothes. He turned and recoiled when he saw a large house on a hill, sure that it hadn't been there the previous night. The place rang familiar. Lights burned upstairs and down, though no one passed in front of the windows or walked the perimeter. A snarl split the night air, and the hunter crested a copse of trees set behind the house. It eased flow to the ground, raising only its head to whiff the cool air, growling at whatever scent it picked up. Elliot suddenly remembered from where he knew the house. Even in profile, he recognized the ornate front porch from his junior yearbook. The caption, The King Preparing to Dance with His Subjects, coming to mind. He knew the unmistakable gleam of Brian Pagan's cherry-red Trans Am beneath the street lamp. Elliot woke on Sunday to a blend of hope and despair. The end of his work loomed in sight. He'd sectioned the dinosaur into legs, tail, torso, and head. Each appeared well within reach, but his body threatened revolt. His stomach nodded with hunger pangs, but he had already eaten what scant food he'd rummaged. Filling his stomach with water failed to help. His fingers, raw the night before, now felt like blood filled sausages merely flexing them sent shards of pain up to his elbows. His headache only grew more intense instead of abating. Then, he remembered that house on the hill and the promise the hunter made as he lingered, waiting in the liminal space between forest and home, between wild nature and insipid civilization. One more search of the lab revealed a tiny tube of aspirin which Elliot had mistaken for chapstick earlier. He chewed the four remaining tablets the bitterness near unbearable but still oddly satisfying. Eventually, he could move his fingers and the pain behind his eyes tapered. He returned to work. Several times he teetered on completion, but then a section fell from the body or ribs snapped from the delicate adhesive and the finish line pulled a little farther away. By the time the light began to fade, Elliot gave up all hope on an early finish. "'He resigned himself to working into the night "'and even tried to appreciate the inevitability of it. "'What could he do but wait till school began anyway? "'When he finished and the beast stood before him, "'complete and glorious, he rehung the wall clock. "'It read 2 a.m. "'He'd guessed ten and laughed at his inept estimate. "'It didn't matter anymore. "'Before him stood the most important thing he had ever built.' He turned off the fluorescence and fired only the three LED bulbs that lit the plinth from behind. The effect was immediate and wonderful. The ancient Predator came alive in those bones, and now everyone would see it, even if it were confined to a high school. He moved the microscope bags and his makeshift pillow in front of the plinth. The pain in his joints and back demanded more aspirin and cried out for a bed not carved from stone. His fingers formed a hodgepodge of open sores now, so stiff and raw he can only place them on his stomach and let the pain throb. Even now, as he stared up at the hunter, he smiled. His eyes shut without permission, and sleep took him again. No longer spectating, Elliot slid into the dream space directly inside the hunter. He watched in first person as the ancient beast moved from the forest into the open, manicured lawn behind Brian's house. The hunter skirted the borders of light cast by the street lamps, slinking from shadow to shadow with a fluidity only a natural predator could manage. No shrieking this time, it moved past the small basketball court, up onto the raised porch, its deadly claws ticking on the stained wood. It moved to the glass patio door where thick Venetian blinds lay at 45-degree angles, revealing the den beyond. Inside, Brian and his two cronies smoked a bowl in dim candlelight, their muted giggles silent through the double-paned glass. The hunter nudged the glass like a dog sniffing out possible food, resulting in a series of dry taps as the bones struck the surface. The hunter moved perpendicular to the blind's open angle, hiding itself from the trio inside, waiting. Elliot's heart thumped in his hand. He couldn't hear his breathing, but he sensed the air moving in and out of him faster. A swirl of emotions churned in his gut, transmitted from where his body lay in the lamp to Brian's home in the upscale community, far from Elliot's single-floor cottage shapes shifted behind the blinds voices shushed and mumbled a latch slid open and the glass door rode its track opening brian's home to the night air what's that smell brian said one of his friends only cackled in reply he ventured further onto the porch squinting into the darkness what is it man one of his toadies asked him the hunter revealed itself from the shadows Sending Brian against the side of the house, standing on his tiptoes to distance himself from the living nightmare. His eyes widened, and his hands curled into fists. He sucked in a breath with a high-pitched whining sound. The bones in the beast's skull shifted, and Elliot knew it had offered the same terrible smile it showed him in his dreams. Brian's jaw quivered, and he shook his head in tight jerks back and forth. Then his muscles relaxed slightly, his lips moving from fearful sneer to drooping frown. He tilted his head to the side, like a dog discovering some oddity. Uh, Ellie? he said. But the hunter cut him off, jaws refined by evolution doing the only thing they were designed to. Rend Flesh. Elliot woke to the doorknob, shaking. A muffled voice sounded on the other side. He tried to sit up, but the weekend left him so feeble that his body refused to cooperate. He breathed in, held it, and rolled onto an elbow when someone keyed the lock and opened the door. He turned to see Mr. Evans balancing a cup of coffee in one hand, a key ring in the handle of his briefcase occupying the other. He held a book beneath his chin. When the teacher looked up, all of them fell to the floor. The coffee made a wet squish as the flimsy paper cup erupted in streaming contents onto the tile. It pooled beneath Mr. Evans' bag, soaking the book. The teacher did not seem to care. Oh my God, he said. Elliot? Who? What's going on here? Elliot took several seconds to rise to his feet, his legs shaky. His hands were so swollen and sore that they were just wads of flesh dangling from his arms. He held them protectively at his midsection. Still, he couldn't resist smiling. He let out a small laugh and indicated the plinth with the tilt of his head. I am... (laughs) I finished the dinosaur, Mr. Evans. His shoulders rolled forward his body threatening to buckle. I... I got locked inside the classroom over the weekend, so I finished her. Well, um, I mean, him, actually. The teacher surveyed the room as if seeing it anew. Confusion knit his brow and his lips protruded, hovering on the verge of speech. "'Oh, it's okay,' Elliot said. "'I'm not mad. I'm, I'm all right.' I just, I just got, got got locked in, sides, you see. So I, I figured instead of sitting here all weekend, it doesn't work that way. The teacher yelled. Elliot recoiled. He'd never heard Mr. Evans raise his voice. I I, I know that, sir. I'm I'm sorry. I just I figured since I was here, the lock, Elliot. The teacher broke in. The lock doesn't work that way. He stepped through the pool of coffee and yanked the open door toward him. He pointed to the lock plate on the classroom side. And then the impossible happened. It... oh, It wasn't like that, Elliot stammered. It was another keyhole that... There was nothing I could do. Elliot continued to stare in disbelief at the vertical latch on the door, the kind used to toggle the deadbolt. This is a school, Elliot, the teacher hissed. You can't be locked in, for Christ's sake. Sir, I... I don't know what's happening here. And what, in the name of God, gives you the right to mess with these fossils? Do you have any idea how much they're worth? How much trouble I... the the whole school would be in if it broke any? But, but, but But I didn't, he whined. "'Unbidden tears erupted. "'Look at it. It, It's just like the instructions said. It's perfect. I I swear.' "'The teacher breathed in and out audibly and seemed to calm. "'He looked over the dinosaur bones for several seconds, first from afar and then from closer up. Elliot, I'm not sure what to make of this. "'I have to notify the principal. your, your, Your mom? Jesus, Elliot!' He shook his head, but continued to stare at the bones. Well, I know just enough about displays to get myself into trouble, but from where I'm standing, it... It looks amazing. How the hell you did it? You... You you like it? The teacher turned back to Elliot, sighed, and nodded. It's fine work, but this behavior... It's insane, Elliot. You could get me or the night guard fired just for not knowing you were in here. Oh, I, I won't say anything, Elliot pleaded. I thought I was locked in. It was, it was my mistake. Mr. Evans sighed again and returned to the bones. That's amazing. I'm just curious about the posture. Christ, Elliot, you, you think it's stalking prey the way you staged it. Elliot squinted. Well, that's what I was going for. He said, thinking of the hunter executing Brian and his toadies with surgical precision. You don't like it? The teacher laughed again. Oh, oh, again. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing, but... But it's not exactly accurate, bud. Heat washed over Elliot, his body threatening collapse. He walked to a lab stool and sat. Um... I don't understand. Pachycephalosaurus, Elliot. It's a plant eater, not a predator. The only thing this guy's creeping up on is a nice dewy leaf. He laughed. Just look at the teeth, he said, pointing. Elliot really looked at the bones for the first time that morning. Sunlight overtook the ominous underglow of the LEDs. In the wash of yellow, the bones held none of the malice they had over the weekend... The eyes were just holes, the teeth blunted nubs, the claws short and utilitarian, meant only to anchor and grip the earth, not to tear open prey. That's not that's not it. It 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 changed, Mr. Evans. I swear it was. A deluge of memories from the last two nights flooded him, overriding the ones he knew to be true until the moment. "'Memories of an open field, a copse of trees and a home. "'The images flickered past, amending his memory like a computer downloading updates. "'No, no, no, no,' he whined. "'That's, that's, that's not what happened.' Elliot, are you all right?' the teacher asked. "'I didn't. It, it, It wasn't me.' Jesus, Elliot, calm down. Just t- 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 take it easy. Elliot, why are your hands bloody? I, I was working with the bones. I worked, I worked so hard on them. No, bud. They're bloody. Look at them. Elliot shook uncontrollably, his vision blurring with tears. He looked down at his ruined hands. Solidifying what he already knew that he was the only killer in that room. Thank you for joining me tonight at the Horror Hill. Bones of Contention was written by Darren Todd. Darren Todd writes short fiction full-time, along with freelance book editing for Evolved Publications and narrating the occasional audiobook for Audible Incorporated. His short fiction has appeared in 31 publications over the last 12 years. He has had four plays produced and a non-fiction book published. So far in 2018, his work has appeared in the Pickman Press Anthology, Corporate Cthulhu, in Silver Empire's Secret Stairs Anthology, and, most recently, in Beneath the Waves, Tales from the Deep. While some of his stories fall under the literary umbrella, he always returns to horror. His style and reading preferences tend toward the psychological, as he enjoys stories that linger in the imagination long after he's closed the book on them. He lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, with his wife and son, and does his best work in coffee shops on a dated word processor. The Initiation of Ryan Cadle was written by Doug Handkey. Doug Handke is a thriller writer. His first full-length novel, No Motive for Murder, debuted on March 24, 2015, to very positive reception and is now available on Amazon.com, along with his other novels and Ghosts, Demons, and Crazy People, his collection of eight short horror stories. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Horror Hell, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and it's featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music... And final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions? Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel... Do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more and haven't already... Be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening.